Uh, we're going to hear somebody else's story now. Uh, it's a story from history. Uh, and we're going to read from uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 4. Um, a king's own account of his personal experience with God. How he came to know God. Uh, that's the little series actually we're, we're speaking about at the moment uh, in Sunday evenings. Uh, about knowing God. Um, and we're going to think in particular about knowing the sovereign God tonight. And, and the book of Daniel perhaps um, in many ways speaks about this uh, more than many books uh, in Scripture. So we're going to read some verses from, from and verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And I had a dream that made me afraid. Now, he goes on to describe this. Daniel records it. And if you turn over to the next chapter, to chapter number 5, and at verse 20, it's another incident, uh, Daniel is summarizing what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually speaking to uh, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what he says about his father in verse 20. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride... He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and he ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until, until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he sets over them anyone he wishes. Now we're going to go back to the, the account, the story that uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave himself as he comes to the end of it in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and at verse 34. So, so this is him coming to the end. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able 
to humble. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan. Uh, he was the king of Babylon, massive empire, current day Iraq. And uh, he didn't know anything about the living God until he came across this man, Daniel, who'd been taken as a child, as a young man from his home. They had overrun Israel. Along with others, they had been, they had been exiled. Daniel entered into government service and he became a voice and a witness to the living God in those circles. And Nebuchadnezzar, through the words and the life and the example of Daniel, eventually comes to know God. To know God. Now that, that's a staggering thing. And that is something that is, is at the heart of the entire message of the Bible. And it's something that is alive and relevant for, for us tonight. I mean, there is the possibility that we can know God. I mean, that is phenomenal. Not to be kept at any sort of distance, not estranged, but we can know the most high God of heaven. Now, in looking at the experience of, of Daniel and of Nebuchadnezzar, what we find is that there were actually two phases to how he came to know God. Uh, the first phase is he comes to know something about God. Um, he, he's given information about God. And the second phase is a deeper thing than that because it's not just about information, it's about, it's about a relationship that then is formed with the God of heaven. At the start of the first phase, it all has to do with a couple of dreams that he has. I mean, if you, if you want to know the details of the first dream, it's in, it's in chapter 2. He doesn't know what it means. To cut a long story short, Daniel comes in, tells him about the dream, and, and gives him the meaning of the dream. The dream was about a massive image, you know, of a man made of different metals and substances, gold, silver, bronze, you know, iron and clay. And, and Daniel told him what that meant. He said, what this means, Nebuchadnezzar, is that there is a God in heaven. And that God in heaven, in his purposes, stands above all the histories of the world. And he has determined the empires and the civilizations and the kings who will reign through history. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this is written over 500 years before the birth of Christ. And in detail, and if you want to go and read it later on, you'll find that in, in chapter 8, for instance, um, we find that certain empires are mentioned that hadn't even arisen talks about the Persians, talks about the Greeks. And all these things we know from looking back in history were things that actually came about. And Nebuchadnezzar begins to learn this kind of information. 
And he learns that God knows everything and is above everything and has determined the course of, hif- of, of history and that he is sovereign over all of that. And there is a gradual developing awareness about God in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. You know, I don't think we can escape from some of this information tonight. Isn't it remarkable? I mean, how, how can we get away? How, how else could we explain what is put down in the book of Daniel about these kind of things, apart from saying that, I mean, this must be the word of God. God himself predicted and prophesied. And, and in fact, there are other details that you will find, not just in chapter 8, where Persia and Greece are mentioned. Greece are mentioned. You'll find, for instance, in chapter number 9, that there is the promise of the Messiah to the extent that even dates and times are calculated and mentioned. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is, is thinking about this. And Daniel is his teacher. And these things are becoming more evident in his understanding of the God of heaven. But there is a second phase. And that second phase is not just about information. It has to do with a relationship in his knowledge of God. And, and, and that's the thing that really needs to be brought to us tonight. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said this on one occasion in John 17. He said, this, this is what eternal life is. Let me define it for you. It is to know, it is to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so we, at that deeper level, have to come and ask ourselves, I mean, do I know God? Do I know God through Christ? God is revealed, God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be the Savior of the world, and whose life and death and resurrection and the whole purposes of God are laid out in this book that we read from. And we've, we've listened to the testimonies of, of these three young women about their faith in Christ. We've sung that hymn about knowing you, Jesus. There is no greater thing. And it's for all of us to ask ourselves, you know, what kind of story do I have? An awakening, understanding, and knowledge, I trust, of God himself. You know, I wonder if I could speak to believers here tonight. Because sometimes... In thinking about the fact that we know God, sometimes we forget or we are distracted from realizing that we, we know Him as the sovereign God. And yes, He is in charge of history, but He's also sovereign over my life, my little life, the details of my life, and sometimes we are frantic, and sometimes we are anxious, and sometimes we get resentful, 
And sometimes we're angry and we can become bitter because of events and, and difficult events that take place in our life. But if we know God, what, what we will start to learn in that knowledge at a personal level is that our God whom we know, He's my sovereign God. My times are in His hand. He holds my life in His hand. And as the great apostle said in Philippians 1, you know, the good work that He began in my life He will carry that on until completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, He'll never let go of me. He will never leave me or forsake me. And and the good work that He began as He searched for me and awakened my conscience and told me of my sin and my need of Him. His life entered into me on that moment of faith that good work will carry on. He'll carry it on all the way through and He'll never let go of me all the way till I see His face. Many things that we can't understand in life. Daniel knew that. Yes, here was the vision of the empires. You know, it was all mapped out, but you know, there were lots of difficulties that were part of the development of that. Lots of things that people couldn't understand, atrocities and all the rest of it. And sometimes we get caught up in that and we can lose sight of the bigger picture of God's sovereignty over our lives. Let me read uh, part of an old poem that I came across takes the imagery of of God weaving the story of our lives. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unfurl the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads were as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he had planned. Often we don't understand. But it's to to know God is to realize that God is sovereign. You know, if I can uh, just concentrate as as we close on, on how his understanding developed at a personal level. You know, we can, we can talk about, about knowing people. You know, we can be given information. Um, but is that the same as really knowing a person? We know that that's not the same. And Nebuchadnezzar now is going to move to this deeper level of, of knowing not just the information but at a personal level, forming a relationship with God. Now, what happened was this. You read it in chapter 4 there, um, verse 28 and 29. Twelve months after his second dream, the dream about a big tree this time, Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, 
than his palace in Babylon. He looks out over the city, look, 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 looks at the, the land, the, the, the cityscape, right over the horizon. You know, and uh, there was this warm glow that arose in his heart. And he said, look at this. Is this not great Babylon that I have built? This is mine. This is my heritage. This is all that I've engineered. I've stood at the, the head of all of this. It's my legacy. It's my accomplishment. This is Babylon. And it represents me. Scripture says this, that these words had hardly fallen from his lips than a decree was issued from heaven. A decree that had been established 12 months before. And he lost his mind. And he was driven from his throne. And he was given the mind of an animal. He lived like an animal. And he lived like that for seven years. Because of his pride and his arrogance, and he's setting himself up against the God of heaven for seven years until the penny dropped for him. And he came to the point in his life when he made an acknowledgement. He came to the awareness and the recognition that the Most High reigns. It's not me. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, is not the center of the world that everything else revolves round about. He now lifts up his, his, his eyes to heaven and acknowledges the Most High and that He is sovereign. He is sovereign. And He gives thrones to whoever He wishes. He sets them up. He puts them down. And He is sovereign. And he wasn't making that in a, in a kind of theoretical sense. It was at a very personal level. He had been humbled by God in his pride. And now he acknowledges personally the sovereignty of God over him. I'm not number one anymore. This is not my Babylon. This is not my empire. God rules. God is the sovereign. Well, that's a massive point for us in, in many ways. That, that's what has been stated here tonight by what we've witnessed and by what we've listened to. What it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus, to be a Christian, is, is laying aside our own pride, our own se sense of importance, our self-sufficiency, and it's of acknowledging that number one, Sovereign, King of my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledging that, as Nebuchadnezzar did. Again, there's another old hymn that says this. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget that thorn-scarred brow. Lead me to Calvary. No, lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love to me. Lead me to Calvary. 
king of my life, I crown thee now. And you know, it is at Calvary, the death of Christ, the crucifixion of the Savior of the world that Daniel prophesied about all those years before, who eventually comes at the fullness of God's timing and in God's purposes, goes all the way to Calvary's cross, which is, in a sense, you know, it is the greatest demonstration of God being in control and of His sovereignty. That point was emphasized for us in this morning's service when Jesus prayed and said, Father, the hour has come. This is the moment. This is why I came. And he steps into that situation in full control and awareness of what is involved and of what he is about to do and achieve. He's taking on this whole issue of sin. This terrible curse that has afflicted mankind. He's going to deal with sin and with death. He's going to be able to bring in righteousness and pardon. And he's going to be able to reconcile people to God through all of that. Despite the wickedness. Despite the darkness. Despite all the anguish that took place. He's in control. He's sovereign. And and Calvary, more than anything else, is the demonstration of what God is like. God is love. God is sovereign. So we ask ourselves, as we look at this man, and in his gradual awareness, as he tells the story of his developing knowledge of the Most High God, whether we know God in the face of Christ. You know, for the believer... We are meant to grow in the knowledge of God. That hymn we sang earlier on there is a paraphrase of Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul makes it his prayer that I might know him. Oh, that I might know him better. To know Christ is to know eternal life.